So we're reading today from 1 Peter 3, verse 13 to 18. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Uh, thanks, Sam. Uh, do keep that passage open. Uh, we're going to have a look through it. Uh, we're taking a break from our usual series to have a look at this passage, uh, along with all the other co-mission churches today. Uh, so let me pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We praise you that you reveal yourself to us through it by your spirit. So we pray that you would exalt your son, the Lord Jesus, before us today. And we pray that we'd respond well to the hope that you have given us in him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder how we treat people. And our close friend, uh, I'm quite good at this, uh, we're prepared to do quite a lot for them, aren't we? Uh, even when they're not on their best. Uh, we're prepared uh, to treat them well, to be gentle and patient. But the people that uh, Peter is writing to in this letter, uh, they're actually afraid of the people that Peter's going to tell them how to behave before. So, so we're not talking about friends or loved ones in this passage, but people who are actually looking to harm us. Just look back to verse 9, uh, sets the scene. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. That's what's coming their way, evil and insults. What do we do with people who insult us or are rude behind our backs? will just make life difficult. Don't look around at this point. <laughs> what do we do when we face peer pressure, uh, when we're pressured at work to perhaps lie or uh, to get drunk after work or pressured to celebrate pride or to swear or to blaspheme? Uh, when we're pressured to agree with our culture or be seen as outsiders or saddos or bigots or different or weird? if we try and remain faithful to Jesus and being holy? What do we prize most? Acceptance or faithfulness? Acceptance amongst our peers and our culture or faithfulness to Jesus, our Lord, in our lives? Acceptance is a massive driving force, isn't it, for us? We want to have friends. We want to fit in. We want to be popular. We want to be thought of as cool or, or normal at least. But being a Christian does, uh, does not call us to be accepted by our culture and people around us. It calls us to be faithful to Jesus as Lord. And that means we'll have enemies. How do we do that, though? How do we stay faithful to Jesus 
as Lord. He's not there, is he, sat at the next desk in our office defending us. Uh, He's not there in the playground uh, so that we're not the only ones trying to be different. And this little section of 1 Peter thinks about all of those things. It reminds us and encourages us to be faithful for other reasons. It reminds us that whatever we're facing, however persecuted or ridiculed or ignored or rejected or laughed at or just feeling left out, it reminds us that someday, someday, Jesus will make all things right. And so it shows us how to treat our enemies, even now. So we're going to need to ask ourselves a few questions today from this passage. Uh, The first one is like a test. Uh, I think they're coming up on the screen. Are we being faithful to to Jesus? Are we being faithful to Jesus? The second one is more of a method. What does being faithful to Jesus look like? And finally, we'll look at our motivation. How can we remain faithful to Jesus? So number one, test. Are we being faithful to Jesus? Now, the assumption of this passage is is that if we are being faithful to Jesus, one of two things is quite likely to happen. Have a look at verse 14. So 1 Peter 3, verse 14. Even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect. In other words, if we're seeking to do right, to be faithful for Jesus, we'll either be disliked, hated, threatened for standing by or acting upon Jesus' commands or love, and or people will question us as to why we are so loving and good towards them when they are being demanding or threatening towards us. The test, if you you like, as to whether we're being distinctive enough is are we being persecuted to some degree or questioned for our faith? Are we being persecuted or questioned for our faith? You see, there's things in the Bible, under that we've looked at over the coming the previous months that the Bible teaches us that should cause people in our culture to dislike us. They will be different in every culture as to what our culture finds offensive about the gospel and the teachings of Jesus. But here are some for our culture. So we will not celebrate same-sex marriage. We won't encourage or validate same-sex couples having children. We won't accept abortion as acceptable. We won't bend the rules at work to make a little bit more profit. We won't get drunk or take illegal drugs to fit in. We won't put our sports team before our church family. We won't talk behind people's backs, even when everyone else is. We won't agree that all religions or ways of life will ultimately lead to God. Or at least we shouldn't do all of those things and many more. And that means people won't like us. They'll at best avoid us and at worst perhaps slander us. Some might lose their jobs. Some of us might lose friends or family. 
the point is that in a world that rejects God's rule, if we are faithful to Jesus, we're going to be distinctive enough to attract objection, even hatred, even verbal or physical violence or threats. Now, we don't go looking for it, but we should always choose Jesus above our culture, faithfulness above acceptance. And that means rejection ought to sometimes find us. When was the last time uh, someone gave you a wide berth because of your faithfulness to Jesus? If it's very rare, then perhaps we're seeking acceptance rather than faithfulness, suggests this passage. But equally on this, uh, being faithful to Jesus will not always attract opposition. It may also attract interest. If we're always seeking to love our enemies, to do good, even the ones who attack us, then we're going to sometimes get people asking us the question, why? Verse 15, again, in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. Uh, We'll come on to how to be uh, motivated to always do good. But for now, another test of whether we're wanting acceptance rather than faithfulness is if people notice that we're being different, that we love when they often hate. And so they, they ultimately ask, or at least people looking in ask, why? Why are you doing that? See, most people's hope is acceptance, isn't it? You, you want to fit in. But if we are loving our enemies, the ones who hate us, then some ought to ask, what is your hope in? Because those enemies will never accept you. So, so how do you deal with a colleague who is frankly annoying and aggressive towards you and to others? Do, do we annoy them back? Do we make things a little bit difficult secretly? Do we join the WhatsApp group called the anger group? Uh, What about the bully at school? Do you join in with others, being a bit rude about them or laughing about them behind their backs? Or do we show kindness and love? And of course, the bully should still be reported to a teacher. And an abusive colleague still ought to be challenged by their managers. Love isn't this sort of wishy-washy niceties. No, it's just to do good. It's to do what is kind when they are not. It's to speak to them respectfully when they haven't earned it. It is to report them to a teacher out of loving concern that that is what's best for them rather than out of hatred or revenge. So are we being faithful to Jesus? Two good questions to ask. When were you last rejected or even threatened for being faithful to to Jesus? And when did your goodness towards someone who who you didn't like get noticed? Two good questions to ask. So there's a test, if you like, from these few verses of our faithfulness. So if that's the test, what's the method? What does it actually look like to be faithful to Jesus? We've touched on it a bit already. But what does being faithful to Jesus mean? look like? What sort of behavior will attract objections and threats, but also attract questions about our hope? Again, it's there in verse 15 and 16. 
In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So firstly, being faithful to Jesus is to revere Jesus as Lord. That means we recognize his authority to rule over us. We don't fear the threats and the rejections of people around us. We rightly fear the Lord who, to whom we belong to. We revere him. We want to be accepted by him, not by people. For he will not only judge us and all people, but he has given us everything in love because he desires and knows what is best for us. So we obey his ways above our own or above others. We revere him. And that's why I listed a few things earlier that might get us into hot water in our current culture. Because if we want to be faithful to Jesus, it will mean we accept his lordship and rule, we revere him, over and above the thoughts and the ideas of our culture. Culture will have false morals, false ideas, about what life is all about. But Jesus says, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The purpose in this life for anybody who has and ever will live is to know the creator God of all. And the only way to do that is through Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And that sort of message is going to offend people. But it is being faithful to Jesus. It's to revere him. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active. What does it do? Well, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the hearts. Revering Jesus means we don't have the luxury that the world thinks it has to make up moral decisions about love and relationships and sex and religion and worldviews and war and peace and the purpose of life. No, we are people of God who belong to God, who live under his rule as we revere Christ through the free grace and forgiveness of Jesus. That means he's in charge, not us. And so we live wholeheartedly by his word, the Bible, faithfulness is to revere Jesus as our Lord. And that will attract persecution and question. Secondly, though, to be faithful to Jesus, we also need to proclaim Jesus. We are to be able to give an answer for our hope, verse 15. In other words, faithfulness to Jesus is not just obeying him, it's, not, uh, it's also to be speaking of him. You can think of the nicest person in all of the world, but without proclaiming Jesus as the source and reason for their behavior, they're not being faithful to Jesus at all. Uh, perhaps think of Gandhi, uh, a world-famous and loved Hindu. Uh, he helped gain independence for India, was nominated for the Nobel Peace Award, 
inspired many civil rights movements, championed women's rights, was famous for always using peaceful methods, loved for his interfaith harmony message. He was an all-round nice guy, although I'm not sure you can quite say it like that. Or was he? You see, without proclaiming Jesus, he actually distracted from the way, the truth, and the life, and has led countless thousands to hell, not heaven. And we'll do the same if we don't proclaim Jesus. Our friends and our enemies need to hear us be ready to give an answer for our hope. Being faithful to Jesus means being ready to tell people why we love them and love their enemies. It's because of Jesus that I try to be like this, because he first loved me. He forgave me of my sins while I was still an enemy of his. He gave me his very life so I might be loved and have life with God, the one true God. It's not really me loving you at all. I'm just passing on what's already been given freely to me by Jesus. And you need him as well. You need to repent before God and accept his grace and love. Then you can share the same sort of hope that we have. <coughs> Eternity with the Lord Jesus. You don't need acceptance by culture. You need Jesus. We need to proclaim Jesus. Another key uh, little section to remember when we're proclaiming Jesus is just at, uh, into verse 15. But do this with gentleness and respect. Remember, Peter's expecting us to speak of Jesus to our enemies, not just our friends. People we don't naturally like, let alone love. And so we'll be tempted to shout at them rather than talk with gentleness and respect. Someone who is faithful to Jesus needs to work hard at loving even those who repay us with evil. Anyone can show gentleness and respect to those that deserve it. But do we proclaim Jesus with gentleness and respect in the way that we act as we revere Christ and the way in which we speak and proclaim Christ? So we have our tests to assess whether we're being faithful to Jesus. Do we find some opposition? Do people ask us uh, for the reason of our hope, the way in which we treat people? Secondly, we now know that faithfulness looks like loving others by revering Christ and proclaiming Christ. Thirdly then, because that is my calling, what is going to motivate us? What should we keep in our heads and our hearts as we strive to be faithful to Jesus? How can we remain faithful to Jesus? Well, number one, first off, remember God is for us. Have a look at verse 14. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Those who are loved by Jesus are on the right team. It doesn't matter what the world throws at us. We are blessed. 
we have the creator God of all the universe, the creator of every person who has ever lived and walked. Well, he's on our side. Scripture is full of this sort of encouragement, Psalm 6, 4, in God, whose word I praise, I tr- in God I trust and I'm not afraid. Peter perhaps picking up the same language. Why? What can mere mortals do to me? God is for us. Psalm 91, verse 9, if you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. Isaiah 59, it is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Matthew 10, 28, do not be afraid of those who, who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. And Romans 8, 31. What then do we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We need to get our heads into eternity, don't we? For God will return, and if he is for us, who can be against us? You can face all things in this life because we know we are blessed. God is for us. So in 2024, we can be faithful to Jesus because he is for you. And so who can be against us? Secondly, remember, vindication is coming. Now, this is, of course, related to our last point, the last motivation. But it should be spelt out in our, in our daily thinking. This is something we should think about. When we're called to love our enemies, however difficult that might be, when we're reminded to proclaim Jesus, you see, nothing will go unseen. Nothing is left undealt with by God. He will vindicate. In other words, he will bring justice on our good and loving actions for his glory. And he will punish those who stand against him at the end. We should be, verse 16 of our passage, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. There's an aspect where this is true in our life now, and there's an aspect that God will vindicate all things fully and finally. And we should never lessen the day of judgment in our minds, for it is in part where we have our hope. Those we have loved but have repaid us with evil will be ashamed one day when they meet their maker. It doesn't go unnoticed by God. And so we ask that question, aren't we? Do you want to suffer a little now for doing good or suffer eternally for doing evil? Vindication is coming. So we don't need to fight for it now. Our motivation is to know that God is in control of all things. For now, 
we do good in Christ, whatever comes our way, according to his will, and then we will receive his blessings and vindication if we have remained faithful to Jesus. And our third motivation, remember, Jesus has suffered more than you. Uh, Verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He has put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. It's not as if we were best friends with God. And then he sent down his mate Jesus, our mate Jesus, to sort of give us a pat on the back. Say, well, yeah, keep going. You're all right. You've done all right. Well done. No, Jesus came to earth and suffered. (laughs) Far more than we will suffer now in this life. And who did he come to suffer for? His friends? No, his enemies. People like you and me. If we believe, we repent and believe in the Lord Jesus, he came and suffered for us, his enemies. If we can't love our enemies, we need to ask ourselves a question as to whether we have a too high view of ourselves whether we have too high a view of how much we deserved the love of God in Jesus coming and dying on the cross for our sins. Colossians 1.21 says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Those words are written about us. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from <clears throat> accusation. It's not unreasonable for Jesus to expect us to love our enemies and those who frustrate us and those who reject us or even threaten us when he has loved us and put himself to death on a cross for us, his enemies. Remember, next time we want acceptance from others for fear of their displeasure. Remember that Jesus suffered first for us. Perhaps these motivations can all be summed up in one word. Someday. Someday we will fully enjoy God's grace and salvation for us. Someday we will see all things indicated. Someday we will receive the full inheritance with Jesus who loves us. His once enemies, now forgiven through his death on the cross. Someday. So we can today love one another, even our enemies. We can do what is good according to Jesus' word. We can proclaim him. We can stand up under suffering. We can take every opportunity to proclaim him because someday he will return and make all things right. Someday we will see Jesus like we have never seen him before. And on that day, Jesus will overshadow everything that we have been through in this life. And we will glorify him forever. Let me pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we praise and honor you. For that while we were still sinners, enemies of you, you sent your son, the Lord Jesus, to die 
in a place, to take your wrath upon him so that we may be free, to give us his righteousness so that we may live eternally with him. We give you glory and praise that he suffered more than we will ever suffer. And so we pray that he would be our motivation to love our enemies, to revere Christ above all things, to seek faithfulness to him and to proclaim his name so that more may see of your grace and your glory. May he be our motivation. Change our hearts and our lives that we may glorify you in every way. Give us a great love and compassion for those around us, however they treat us. May we always stand, uh, stand under your word to bring you glory so that others may see you, so that others may see what hope we have and ask. And we may say it's because of Jesus. <clears throat> Change our hearts and our lives to live more for you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.